Hello and welcome to the GLT podcast series with the Greenshaw Learning Trust and Friends Book Club, where we talk all things teaching and learning with leading educationalists across the world. My name is Rhiannon Rainbow. And my name is Dave Tushingham. This is a place to enjoy listening to organic conversations between teachers and authors, a journey in bringing the latest evidence-based literature into the classroom. This is a podcast of our fifth GLT Book Club session. Well, we are joined by Michael Charles for his book, The Craft of Assessment. Let's get stuck in. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, Welcome to the Greenshaw Learning Trust Book Club session. We are absolutely honoured this afternoon to be joined by our special guest, Michael Childs. And we're going to be looking at his book, The Craft of Assessment. So I'm going to begin by just reading it a little bit from the beginning of his book. Um, His career began as a geography teacher in a secondary school in the West Midlands, where he became head of department, then a senior leader with responsibility for teaching and learning. Um, You then relocated to the Northwest. You took a little bit of time out of the classroom to develop and deliver teacher training, both nationally and internationally. And I notice you are now a geography trust lead It's an awesome job to be a trust lead. I'm a maths trust lead, it's wonderful. And also a chartered college council member amongst the um, other books and your blogs and everything else that you're doing. It's such a busy man. So thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to hand over to Dave, who's going to explain a little bit of our reasoning behind why we selected this one for our book club this year. Thanks, Sri. Um, so basically, uh, reading through that book, Michael, we just feel so so honoured, really do, to have you with us. Um, it was a, a really difficult decision to pick the particular extract that, that I did because we just wanted to read the whole book, if I'm brutally honest. Um, but, but I felt that the, the chapter about um, sort of what feedback is really about sort of stuck in, in my mind in terms of uh, what we do as teachers and how we take um, the, the evidence and the research that's out there. Um, and bring it back to our classroom and make sure we're doing the right things for the students um, for our understanding of what they understand and, and helping them therefore to move forward. Um, and uh, and, and what, one thing that I thought was um, quite timely with us just going back into schools at the moment was the idea um, that I built from reading the chapter of um, building trust in um, in that feedback and, and what my particular takeaway from, from the reading was about um, making sure that the student um, accepts your feedback and that it's given in a way that they they, they take that feedback and, and they work with it and, and they are they are accepting of it because um, the idea of um, me thinking I've te- taught this wonderful lesson I've um, I've collated this this feedback and um, that I want to give them and I've, I've delivered this um, to then sort of walk away and think yes I really know that and the students go no, I don't buy into it. Um, just really resonated with me that, that we really need to, to understand deeply what the students are thinking as we're, we're having that two-way conversation. And, and, and so that, that chapter really stuck in my mind as one that I, I'd love to dig deeper on. And, and that's why we chose that. But I just wanted to invite you to, to sort of talk a little bit about your thoughts behind it and, um, and then just uh, then open it up to the floor for, for anybody to, to sort of share their thoughts and ideas as well. And, and again, just thank you so much for joining us. No, thanks for having me. Thanks for inviting me. Um, it's been um, it's been an interesting start to the week back in school, but um, it's uh, it's been it's good good to be off in the classroom. And I think from from the point of view of uh, feedback, it's it's definitely um, a more sort of uh, positive and uh, sort of um, 
suppose it opens up greater doors to understanding what what people's know and don't know because we're able to actually have those sort of face-to-face and uh, conversations real-time conversations i think that from from the perspective of the book uh, and it's probably why i actually delve a little bit deeper into feedback through through the new book that i wrote because it's a massive um sort of, uh, part of our pedagogy and one that is sort of misinterpreted i suppose um, and the evidence is also very conflicting around what is effective feedback, what is not effective feedback. But I think fundamentally, the, and John Hattie talked about this as well when, when uh, we had a conversation about it, when, whenever, we, uh, whenever we go about our day-to-day school life, students are um, what he, he coined as being uh, subjected to a thunderstorm of feedback every day day in day out every lesson and actually they probably only absorb three to four seconds of it so how much of that feedback do we actually uh, want pupils to to really understand and i think that's really important because they get feedback non-verbally verbally throughout um, throughout the whole day every lesson and we know that as dave has already mentioned that crucial part of creating that receptive culture because we can give pupils feedback and that's fine and we can support them in feeding forward and through those target driven improvements that we provide them but actually they unless they want to receive that feedback and unless they actually action it to feed forward it becomes very meaningless and i think that um having worked in i mean this is my sixth secondary school now and, and having done a variety of different roles and and work in very different schools uh, from uh, some very challenging areas to some less challenging areas. The one thing that I've learned is that we have spent a lot of time, wasted time, on um, feedback policies, which actually were really marking policies, and those marking policies were fundamentally to meet um, senior leadership and uh, governor uh, sort of requirements. And it wasn't actually about giving pupils feedback. It was actually more about monitoring teacher performance in the classroom and monitoring uh, teachers who follow a policy. And actually, that's not what we're here for. We know that we're here to to help our younger generations become more sort of um, proficient uh, and lifelong learners. And actually, part of that process is, is giving them feedback, not marking lots of books. So I think that... Um, having seen some of the worst practices out there and then having reviewed all of the evidence and the research that's why i put forward those sort of key principles that our feedback is timely that our feedback um, is built on a receptive culture our feedback is granular it's razor sharp i know that harry fletcher wood has recently written a a blog about refocusing feedback and and in that blog, and I, and I sort of alluded to it within the actual um, book on craft and the follow-up in the feedback pendulum, that actually we spent a lot of time with uh, marking policies of one star or two stars and a wish, wasn't it? And there was loads of those, or what went well, even better if. The problem with that is that there are times when you, you may not want to give two targets because it's not relevant. And actually, what you want to focus on is what's going to be the highest leverage that's going to help them to feed forward into the next step. 
what's that what what in terms of that target what's going to have the biggest impact to help them move forward in that piece of work so i feel and why i sort of stressed it in, in the book was that we move, need to move away from marking to feedback and if we do that and we focus on actually we're giving feedback to help improve the learner not the piece of work in isolation it actually provides a more powerful approach to that crucial pedagogy and i suppose moving forward there's a lot of um, there's a lot of schools out there that are really sort of striving towards these feedback policies and moving away from marking. But I think that the next step is to actually move away from grades completely within the sort of uh, nomenclature of a, or that language that we use within schools because grades mean nothing really. Ultimately, um, grades are a barometer, I suppose, to, to judge the success of school. We know that at the moment, but we don't need that permeated throughout the, the curriculum and throughout the lessons. Uh, we don't need that. What we need is um, sort of effective feedback using those principles that is meaningful, that helps pupils move forward. And inevitably, then when it comes to sitting these terminal tests, and if, if that's how it continues for the foreseeable future following post-COVID, Sort of arrangement then those grades will never to fall into place and um, if we place our focus and our emphasis and our time on giving that sort of concrete feedback that's going to have a bigger impact and constantly judging pupils based on target grades and, and uh, essentially what is more performance based rather than the focus on learning um, I could talk loads and loads about it I could talk all afternoon but um, depends where anyone's got any burning questions at the moment that they want to ask or um, happy to take those or I can carry on. No, that'd be, that'd be brilliant. I mean, we will love listening to you all afternoon. And I, while we're just waiting for people in the room to raise their hands or unmute, um, I've worked in um, places where it's a case of I have to take my 200 books home every single fortnight because every single book needs to have been marked just to demonstrate that I've marked it and then when the books get taken in it's checked for the frequency of how often I've marked it not necessarily the quality of feedback or how it's helping to improve the students and help them to move forwards um, and I must admit that when I joined the Greenshaw Learning Trust I've never taken home a set of books since. And my students' results are the best that they've ever been for the classes that I teach because I'm able to spend my time focusing on other things, my teaching, my planning, and more effective forms of feedback. So it's it's just fantastic to hear. And um, I know Making Every Lesson Count was, was another really good book a few years ago that we used to help inform that and Sean Delahoy is not able to be here this afternoon but he was the one who sort of introduced me to that and that was cracking so Dawn you've raised your hand I'm going to bring you in now and then I'll bring Matt in afterwards hi yeah um, I'm just going to throw out to Michael and to the whole room really we uh, Matt, Matt and I are maths teachers and the temptation is that students see ticks they see crosses that instantly go for a score not necessarily a grade but they can see when they've answered 10 questions that they've got seven of them right and they're they're more interested in that number than they are the next steps so 
So I'm just looking for ideas and strategies from everyone about engaging and making that feed forward meaningful and making the students actually see working beyond the, the number. Yeah, thanks, Dawn. I think that, um, again, why are we ticking? Who are we ticking for? Are we ticking for the people? Are we ticking for ourselves? Are we, are we putting a tick on the work? Because that's what we've always done. And, and that's just what teachers do. They tick the red pen and they tick. Um, but do we need to tick the work? And I suppose that it comes back to what is the reason for ticking it? Are we ticking it for acknowledgement? Uh, each other to say, always mark the book. It's supposed to be peer-marked for, for checking for understanding in maths. So they, they either peer or self-mark to, to make sure that they've understood a task. Mm. I suppose then, from a mathematics point of view, if you feel that there is um, there is value in ticking, then it's, it's looking at the culture of um, moving away from marks. Or, um, I mean, from, from my perspective, when, I, when there's several schools that I've worked in over the last couple of years and I've I've not given pupils marks, I've not given them percentages, I've not given them grades, they've struggled to start off with. And um, delving into the rationale and sharing that with them, creating that receptive culture, and saying actually the big focus is not on what you've got, but what's the next stage to actually help you to move forward and focus on that aspect. Now, it, uh, don't get me wrong, it's very challenging. As you rightly say, Dawn, that we are sort of uh, naturally wired as human beings to want to know: Have we beat that other person? Are we the best in the room? Um, we just we're just wired for that. However, the problem with that, and Dylan Williams talks about this as well, it just becomes um, a sort of distractor uh, because what what gets lost in transmission of the feedback is, oh, I got 70%, but actually, why didn't you get 100%? And what's the focus as to why you need to move forward? What's what's the next step? Um, maybe not putting the ticks on could be a starting point, possibly. I mean, we very rarely put ticks on books in the school I'm at at the moment. And um, the pure focus is on what are the common misconceptions. So we look at two, I suppose there's also two elements of feedback, isn't there? There's the element of feedback in relation to the knowledge. Have they got a secure knowledge of the subject, the concepts, the processes, the underlying um, aspects of the subject? So for me, in geography, I'm looking at do they have an understanding, say, for example, of the, uh, the components, the mechanics, that cause uh, erosion of the coastline. My second aspect of feedback is, are they proficient in um, demonstrating that understanding through application knowledge? So that's explaining, analyzing, evaluating. So I'm looking at two strands in terms of giving feedback. So what I want to do initially, is I want to decide when, when I've gathered in some work, I'm looking holistically at it. Where's, where's the common misconceptions? I won't put any red pen on it. I won't tick it. I won't do anything with it. I'll look at, okay, what do they know really well? And I might pick out that actually, or well, a common misconception is in this class is they're not really understanding the difference between these two types of erosion. So what I need to do now is I need to think, how am I going to reteach? How am I going to uh, support the overlearning, the overexposure of that? 
so I might do that in, in subsequent lessons through um, retrieval practice activities. I take away all the stakes towards it, and I just want to reteach those aspects. And then secondly, are they proficient in explaining the ideas? And if they're not, then I want to work on how I can support them in uh, explaining. So I suppose maybe from a mathematical point of view, it could be that you look at a series of books, you've done 10 questions on a particular aspect, and you, you, you find out that they can't do this one question, a lot of them. So you want to focus on that particular uh, mathematical skill it might be but it does make peer feedback a different approach and I talk about this that we get hung up about peer assessment that's that's mark each other's work and actually peer feedback is slightly different what we're trying to do and Popham talked about this in 2008 in his research all we want to do is you want to get people to see their graduations in the work and see how other, other pupils have uh, approached the work to actually learn from each other rather than saying, you got it right and I got it wrong. Um, I don't know whether that helps, Dawn. I don't know whether that's answered your question. Um, that's just my thoughts off the top of my head at the minute. No, that's, in, that's incredibly helpful. Thank you, Michael. Um, I don't know if you wanted to say anything else, Dawn. I was going to um, bring Matt in now, if that's okay, and then I'll come to you afterwards, Kirsty. Thank you. I think my point kind of uh, echoes Dawn's a little bit, but that will be uh, working together for such a such a long time. And I think the the thing that's sort of fascinating for me, really, and it's not something I'd considered previously, was the concept of that delaying the grade. And you know, as much as we put, I think you said the sort of nomenclature around it, but as much as the our semantics might be the importance of the feedback being that topic specific actually you know as as adults do it as you said but the students are looking for that grade and i think in the in the culture that we're in at the moment anyone sort of taking year 11 cohorts or year 13 cohorts through at the moment the obsession is that is that letter or that number or, or whatever they're looking for and i found that really sort of fascinating that ability to delay that grade and to then make the sole attention on the feedback element because I think what what we're doing and I'm, I sort of want to open this out to everyone else really is probably doing the two of them and maybe not doing either particularly well um, trying to balance the, the grade against the three areas that you need to work on and actually you know for me I think you said in and early in the chapter is this this such a high input that goes into some of that traditional marking for such a low impact and for me that strategy feels like it just instantly turns that on its head and become something that's a relatively low input for actually a huge impact because you're now directly addressing or having to face those elements of your your feedback and i and i just sort of thought really i guess if you could talk from your experience of, of how you managed that um and maybe if other people have got experiences of that because i think you'd, you'd also talked um around who you're doing marking for um and i don't feel like i'd have difficulty um selling to the students uh, why we would take a, a change in approach but perhaps hypothetically we might have um difficulty explaining that upstairs while we've made a, a such a radical change and and you know to to quote rian and been sort of 10 percent braver on that and and gone that direction with things so if maybe if you can sort of talk through your i guess experience of how that was managed and then if anyone else maybe in the chat or anything like that's got ways that they they sold that or they they've tried that i've talked for too long now i'll pass, pass back <laughs> Doesn't, I just saw it pop up a couple of minutes ago how it's a big cultural shift, it is a big cultural shift and it requires all staff to be involved and, and buy into that. Um, 
So I suppose, first of all, it comes back to everyone having that consistent approach across the school. So a whole school approach whereby there's a, there's a clear understanding that uh, delaying the feedback, and I suppose we're not saying feedback, actually delaying the marks, that gratification of you got X out of X, or whatever it is, uh, is powerful. There is a tendency to give pupils their marks because it's like you say, it's an instant gratification, but actually it can be really damaging for some pupils because we know that if, if you give a pupil 40% and then they're sat next to a pupil who's got 90%, no matter how much you spend the rest of that lesson trying to uh, support and give if that's feedback that you want to give them in the first place, they will not uh, want to accept or receive it at that point because we know as humans, like if we get something negative or if we achieve a, a poor mark or whatever else, we just we just clam up, we shut off, put our natural defences up, we're deflated. There's all those emotions that we're trying to deal with, and even as adults. If we're doing a test and we get a low mark, it's deflating for us. If we get negative feedback, it's deflating for us. So even like a, I suppose the a driving test is a good example. When someone does their driving test and they end up getting a major, that always becomes that conversation when you ask them, how did you get on? Oh, I had a few minors, but I got this major and then that was it. It just failed. And and, and suppose what I'm saying is that Although it initially seems like um, going against the grain, the norm, to not give that feedback straight away, the pupils do eventually buy into it. And um, the last school I worked at was all about grades, numbers, marks. And I talked about flipping it on its head. Um, and I spent a lot of time and investment with staff, giving the reasons why. I spent a lot of time with the pupils, giving the reasons why. And, and some of the pupils will come in and say, um, yeah, but I want my mark. How, mu how much did I get? What was the grade? Am I on target? Because they've just become conditioned to do that. Well, actually, I said to them, okay. I said, just take a step back. I can give you a grade, but it means nothing at the moment. The grade means nothing. You'll either know you've got this grade or this grade, but you need to know what you need to do for the next level. And it's why I always say to my pupils, I mean, I wouldn't even share target grades personally, but again, it comes back to the school. Uh, I always say to pupils, you're, you're, you're not a target. You want to become a more proficient geographer, historian, mathematician, whatever it might be. And so what we're going to do is we're going to learn how to do that. And then by doing that, you will eventually achieve your potential and, and at the end of it you'll get a grade and eventually you give them the grade and eventually you do give them that and and I suppose it's the same with anything isn't it um there was that uh, experiment wasn't there with the uh this experiment was gone it was all over YouTube wasn't it where they would give the child the, the, the chocolate biscuit or whatever it was and the parent would disappear off wouldn't they and say if you don't touch it then you can have it when it gets back. Suppose it's the same with the students and the feedback. Okay, I'm not going to give you the feedback now because what I really want to do is I want to get and drill down into the reasons for why this wasn't the perfect piece of work, whatever phrase you want to use. It wasn't excellent. And then after that, I'll give you the, uh, the grade. Okay? 
but the grade isn't important because also the once you give them a grade it's almost like that's it it's finished the piece of work's done well i got two and i should have got four so i'm really deflated now so I, I'm, I'm not going to bother i'm going to fix it and improve it so um again i'm being open honest this afternoon it's not easy and i wouldn't dress it up as being easy because students are so used to it but what i'm saying to you is if you put the you put the the time and the commitment and the determination to switch it around in your individual classroom and schools and you you explain and you sell the reasons why ultimately students do come on board and do understand it um can't remember how long it took me at the last school i know i got to a point where i needed coaching but i didn't because some groups were obviously really really like i want my grade I want my grade um had a few interesting conversations with parents as well um, and, and that again i won't dress that up because that does happen we know that parents also want to know is my child on or off target but actually again explaining the reasons why eventually they do, they do understand it um, so i would say after the first term of being at school things were a lot easier in relation to to um, not asking for the marks and then after the first year of being there it would just become the norm however uh, that helps matthew or yeah sorry i was furiously making notes yeah no completely i the thing i i i'm sort of stealing all the bits that i was going to feed back in there. uh the thing i uh, wrote down i guess is i i think you'd mentioned it i can't think of the last time well i can think of the last time a student asked me what they got what did i get I can't think of a time a student said to me, what do I need to work on? And I think that's, mm. that's the whole point of that discussion, isn't it? To, to transform into that second thing. But no, thank you. I've, I've written loads down. That's brilliant. I was furiously scribbling down notes as well. So, Kirsty, I'll bring you in here, if I may, and then um, it'll be you afterwards, Maria. Thanks, Rhiannon. Um, just in response to what Dawn said, um, in mathematics, perhaps more than other subjects, we, we do have the, is it a luxury? I hesitate to use that word. We certainly have the opportunity to use very quantitative analysis of our assessments and our really clear numerical data. I think avoiding ticks and numerical scores on work is quite challenging, actually. Um, but it's making that just one part of the assessment for me. And then you know, we have QLAs. I actually get students to build their own QLA. So I've started using lockdown bonus. I've started using Microsoft Forms to create a tick list, essentially. These are the questions I've done well. These are the questions I haven't. Ask them to self-identify where their successes are, where their weaker areas are, and then to make a little action plan, which obviously drops back into my inbox so I can see what they've decided to move forward with. Um, and we can then have that feedback loop from there. So I think that's a really easy thing to set up for maths. Um, I'm not sure how easy it would be for other subjects where you have a lot more subjectivity in assessments. Um, but actually, sorry, that was not my main question. And Michael, coming back to um, something in your in your book, um, you refer to Hattie's uh, meta-analysis and you say about um, feedback being more effective when it provides information on correct rather than incorrect responses, which really got me thinking and um, especially later on a few pages later you refer to the whole class feedback sheet making note of common misconceptions and errors and i just wondered if you're actually 
deliberately contradicting Hattie a little bit there, or if you're just seeing it in a slightly different way, um, and whether you're referring to the sort of variation theory intelligent questioning in what Hattie's saying. Yeah, and I think this is the thing with feedback. There is a lot of very conflicting um, sort of evidence out there. And uh, yeah, I was deliberately looking at the opposite side to that, uh, which Hattie obviously presented. Um, there's obviously a big debate between time when you give feedback. There's a lot of debate on whether you delay or don't delay it. Um, so yeah, I mean, what I when I and I built that in in the subsequent book, the the type of feedback that you give will be dependent upon what you wanted them to do in the first place. So it may be the case that um, you deliberately want to focus on the correct rather than the incorrect responses. It may be the case that you want to flip it on its head and focus on where those misconceptions were. But that will be very much dependent upon the task that you wanted them or the task that you get them to do and the sort of reason behind the task. What did you want from it? And I suppose it comes back to again, uh, what what do you want to, what do you want pupils to demonstrate following that task? What did you want them to get from it? And by giving them whatever form of feedback it may be, what is the purpose of giving them that feedback? And what is the what is going to be the impact of giving that feedback? I can see Kirst is also <laughs> scribbling down as much as you can on that one. I think you gave her lots, of, certainly gave the rest of the room lots to think about with that. Um, Maria, I'll bring you in now and then I'll come to you next day. Hi. Um, yeah, it's just I'm also a maths teacher and I'm, I'm as a maths teacher, I'm quite intrigued by the idea of not putting any kind of marks on on a maths paper that I would mark for my students. Um, obviously, like I've seen English assessments and with it being skills based, you could on a separate QLA summarize what scores you would have given them and on the piece of work that you're assessing, maybe underline or circle some things that you were going to address in whole class feedback um, but with maths papers and the amount of content they can cover just in one paper and the complexity of the QLAs um, recording marks on the paper I I think I would struggle if I couldn't actually somehow summatively record whether they got things correct or not on the paper I think I would then struggle to provide that feedback effectively. It's just really a question about, obviously I can avoid putting a grade or a total on the front, but students will instinctively then go through their papers and start adding up the marks. So it's just really, um, if you've done any work with maths in particular, and have you had teachers hand back papers with no marks on? I mean, what does that look like? I'm just, I'm just really intrigued. Yeah, I suppose it comes back to what is the purpose of the ticks? Is the ticks for you or is it for the or is it for the student? What does the ticks tell the student? The ticks tells the student um, in a maths paper, as you rightly say, they've got this question right, they've got this question wrong. Um, like you say, whether you give them a grade or not, most students are quite astute, they'll just count them up. 
Um, let me just count what let's see how much I got out of 20 uh, and they can quickly work that out especially in maths as, as you rightly say but um, recording marks and I suppose um, this will depend on the school recording marks for if you, if you want to use a question level analysis uh, for internal purposes as a department as a teacher um, as, as a group of teachers to look at uh, common misconceptions and areas of um, development for that cohort of students. Because remember, every cohort of student, students will, will um, have different strengths and areas for development. That's absolutely fine. And if you want to internally record it as a teacher, that's that's absolutely fine. I, un I understand the rationale for doing that because it helps to inform your planning. And as teachers, uh, we want to know um, scores potentially. Um, across across the groups, across different groups for different analysis and so forth. Um, I won't get into the uh, validity of those scores, etc., because that I could go on for hours and hours about that. But um, gathering in, let's say, twenty papers and say and finding out that twelve pupils can't do question ten, which was on I don't know. I'm trying to I'm, I'm looking at my ignorance here of maths as I've not done it for number of years but maybe quadratic equations or, or finding an angle of something and you find out that 12 students can't do that you don't need to put a cross on it but what you what you would do is say right okay so how am I what am I going to do next now what am I going to do in the next lesson to help me feed forward so they can calculate quadratic equations or they can work out the angle of a shape and so forth and I'm going to focus my efforts on giving feedback on that to enable them to feed forward so what am I they might pick out an example um, if they if they have to draw it on, or I might pick out a few examples of where pupils have done what is a usual misconception for that question. I might model that on the screen and show them, and I might talk about why um, those particular students have got that wrong, or it's not right, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then I'll look at how I can uh, reteach it, and then look at how I can present a new set of questions based on the same. Uh, mathematical skill that will get them to overlearn and hopefully them to move forward. But will the ticks or crosses make a difference for the pupils? Um, I'm honestly not convinced, other than, as you rightly say, they'll just naturally count it up and work out how many they got right or wrong. Uh, for you as a, as a teacher, you can make a note of that internally in a, in a teacher folder or, or maybe a department database maybe that you might have. Not sure if that helps, Maria, but that's just my thoughts. Um, and I know that I've worked with some maths departments and doing that, and I know that maths departments have found it challenging. And um, but at the same time, again, it comes back to that idea of uh, that culture, that shifting culture from what we what we've what we would usually do what might help to um, change the sort of way in which we give feedback to pupils. Um, thanks, Michael. Yeah, I mean, we do do a lot of uh, what you're saying anyway. So we do do um, whole class feedback rather than individual feedback in, in books. And when students do an assessment, the feedback is very much what you're saying. We'll look at common misconceptions and errors across a paper. Um, I guess I still think sometimes that within maths it's quite good for students to know if they've done a one mark question and have come 
correctly or incorrectly converted units, it's quite good for mm -hmm. them to get that feedback for those short answer questions. Yes, I can do it or yes, I can't. And I need to address that because I think sometimes they can have a false sense of security about doing things and they can think they know how to do particularly those earlier marks on a foundation paper and they need to realize that they are making mistakes there in order to move forward but um but yeah no absolutely about the uh, the feedback strategies you're suggesting they're all great stuff yeah and i suppose just pick up that strand i suppose it comes back to the idea of are we and I've rationalised and thought about this over the last couple of years. Are we, are we teaching them how to apply their knowledge to that specification that we've adopted? Or are we teaching them how to be great mathematicians um, and therefore then sub subsequently as they get towards the end of their GCSE journey, we might then start to focus a little bit more on how it looks in terms of that specific um, GCSE specification and types of questions, but the problem, the problem that I've seen in a lot of schools is what happens in it inevitably because of accountability measures, etc. Is that schools become a five-year uh, GCSE, and actually it's all about training them to answer questions for a specific examination board, rather than actually um, helping them to become. Um, into mathematicians, scientists, geographers, historians. Um, so I suppose that would that's the only bit I've, I can think of adding there when you talk about them wanting to know have they done well in this one mark question. Um, when actually, do like you say, switch on its head, look at the opposite side. Do they know how to do that particular mathematical skill? Thank you. I mean, that was, uh, well, whilst you were saying that, um, it made me think back to um, what Harry Fletcher Wood was saying in his session about the use of exit tickets. And I thought, well, and he was talking about don't mark the exit tickets, don't give them back to the students with whether they've got it right or wrong or whatever, put it into the piles. Usually they'll go into your th the three different succinct piles and then use that to inform your planning. Do you have a couple of students who are going to need something slightly different or a little bit of additional intervention and support? What would your whole class feedback be on this? What bit do you have to reteach? And where can you take everybody on to next? So even just that subtle shift of not marking those exit tickets, you know, not feeling you have to put the ticks and the crosses on there and putting them into the piles, I suppose, could be the start of the culture shift here and, and for what we're used to and what we find safe. Um, oh, that's fascinating. Dave, uh, your turn. Thanks. Yeah, it's just absolutely fascinating. Um, I'm really, really enjoying just scribbling down these notes as well and so much to take away. Um, there's one comment in the chat which just really made me think as well that just um, resonated with me and, and connected um, very nicely to, to what's being shared. Um, and that was the idea of, of potentially not giving grades initially, uh, but feeling about how to improve and then remarking for any changes and looking at um, that as your your grade or your, your number that you're pushing onto it but it made me think about the idea of, of potentially it's about the students accepting and, and convincing them that this grade isn't important and, and I realised through listening to this and I'm very open to being challenged and just wanting feedback on this idea but um, I realised that I in the classroom um, didn't realise I did this before but I, I tried to almost devalue what the grade means to the student 
so that they're less interested in it. So, so what I do as, as one of my um, sort of techniques of sharing grades is I, I talk about an understanding score. So, so if they're working through an assessment, they've got their grade back, they, we say now we understand that, we've moved forward with that, and then they just add that to their grade. Um, and, it, and it just means that the actual grade that they're getting is, is not as important to them, it's the understanding. I make a really big deal about um, in, in the classroom about the actual um, aspect, the isolated skill and, and what they've done and how they've moved that forward. And then when they talk about the grade itself, I'm, I'm a lot sort of less interested, should we say, in terms of tone and in terms of culture. Um, and and it, it got me thinking about how, again, I'm so almost coming away from the feedback idea a little bit here then and thinking about the culture of my classroom um, and about the students really themselves wanting to focus on what it means to, to make an improvement. Um, and trying to make that the thing that they want. And, and I guess then, um, after feedback, and, and please genuinely challenge um, any thoughts there that I, I use because I want to get better at that, but um, what it means then, uh, or what tactics there are rather, to try and support the student in that journey to, to that being the important thing for them. How, what sort of techniques have worked? Um, and I'll open it up to the room for anybody to, to say what, what sort of techniques work for getting the students to think in terms of improvement rather than grade. Yeah, I think... I mean, I can't remember the last time I talked about grades within a, within a lesson. Um, I haven't done it for many years now. I think the only time that I ever talk about grades, and that's because I felt compelled to, is at a parents' evening um, because parents want to know. And I think that's a bigger shift of culture for the parents to change that mindset. Um, but from a teaching point of view, if you were to speak to some of our students now, they'll say, Probably quite frustrating to show where I never talk about it, you know, it does. Um, but for, I mean, like in year 11, most recently, there are certain questions where, and it is part of the examination specification, and unfortunately, by year 11, they need to know how to do it. They need to make reference to figures in geography. Now, I've never said this to them. I've never said in this question, you need to make reference to figures to get top marks. What I have said to them, though, is that as part of the success criteria for applying knowledge, you need to have these strands within your, your answer. Um, <clears throat> and uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, students did a particular question, and I just said, when you're writing your answer and you're looking at these flood hydrographs, you need to make reference to the hydrographs in your answer, because it's evidence, it's supporting what you want to say. And then after, the, after they completed the question, I said to you, right, just proofread your answer. And this is really vital as well. Part of the feedback process is them, get, is them actually proofreading what they've done. Um, so they proofread their answer. And one of the, one of the year 11 lads said, oh, I haven't made reference to the figure, sir. Forgot to do it. I said, OK, so what are you going to do now? He said, I'm going to go back and I'm going to add it in where it should be. I never said to him. Oh, well, you have reference to figure, so you've only got three out of six because that's what the grade, grade boundary said in the uh, Ed Excel, whatever it is, specification, so you can't get any more. I haven't used that language with them. I've used the language of you, you haven't made reference to the figure, so what are you going to do? So every time they now see a, well, every time they would have seen a figure had this at summer exams, they would have known that they needed to make reference to it because it would have been, it would have been my subtlety of weaving that in and then the subtlety of giving them the feedback by identifying it themselves and still giving them no marks whatsoever would actually help them to feed forward to become more proficient geographers 
in using and analyzing data. So, I mean, that's how I've approached it. Um, and like I say, I found it more powerful because I focused on the learning, not um, the performance. The performance is how many marks they got, and the performance is not really the important bit. It's the learning. It's the it's the surf. It's the uh, deeper level um, mechanics of why they didn't do as well as what they should have done. That's the focus that uh, I would advocate more towards. <clears throat> So, I mean, what I'm hearing there is it's brilliant. It's really helped me to form this in my mind is that um, I'm looking almost uh, when I say um, when, when they get an assessment back and they're so itching to hear these grades. So, so I try to, to um, sort of talk about these grades and, 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 re and sort of um, redesign what they mean so that they become less relevant. And what I need to do, I think, is be a little bit braver in the classroom and just use a consistent language where there's an expectation that we're, we're not going to be talking about these grades. We're going to be talking about these improvements and, and the subtleties of my language that I use in order to, um, to do that in a consistent way in the classroom is what's going to get us to that position. Because I'm looking to, to go on that journey and, and maybe I just need to take that bigger step is, is what, I'm, what I'm hearing there. That's really, really helpful. Um, if, if I've interpreted that right, I'm, yeah, I really appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. And, I, and I've, I've seen it. And I, I can't remember. It was last, last year. I seen, uh, I got a chance to observe a teacher and they were doing a bit of retrieval practice. And they finished retrieval practice. says, right, I'm going to gather in your scores and everyone. I want you to tell me how many you got out of 10. And I was thinking, why? Who cares? Who cares how many they got out of 10? It doesn't matter. The important bit is you, through that retrieval practice activity you did, start a lesson, you know now that X number of students can't remember this term. They don't know this, they don't know that. So the next step now, and I suppose Harry Fletcher Wood's work on responsive teaching is crucial as well because you, you, you respond to that. And um, he must have wasted six minutes of the lesson writing down what they got. What was he going to do with it? What was it going to tell him? Like the exit tickets. What, what's he going to tell you by, by writing down whether they got the exit ticket question right or wrong? It's not really going to tell you anything. But using it to inform your planning, as Harry talked about, is important. Using it to be responsive in a lesson when you've done the retrieval practice, like daily review, like Rosenstein talks about the start a lesson. Okay, we all don't know this term. Right, I'm going to reteach them before I move on. And I think also part of this comes back to curriculum, and it all comes back to curriculum design and implementation because actually te teachers are still, and I think it's changing, but teachers are still sort of um, fixated on teaching a lesson and making sure they do a scheme of work within a set time frame. Um, I remember years ago, and it used to be conversation department meetings, oh, nowhere near finishing this scheme you're nearly finished already and it used to be like the guilt as to why you were so behind on teaching that scheme but actually it's not about that pupils learn at different rates and i think david dale talked about learning as being quite messy naturally if we try and play rigid games with curriculum and rigid games games with um the activities we put in place to gather superficial marks and percentages and that lot it, it really adds a distraction to what we want to do which is to help pupils feed forward into the next stage and become more proficient at the, at the subject they're doing
Michael, that's, that's brilliant. Just, I um, just wanted to say thank you because I, I think from reading the book, I was sold on the idea and it was the culture of how am I going to, to create this shift in my classroom so that this is normal. And, and I've just, I have so many ideas now to take away to make this happen as well. So yeah, it's been fabulous for me. Thank you so much for this. I mean, listening to you there, Michael, it's just made me think, um, which which I do, I do try and do, even when it's a, a long week, is have I been training my students to sprint up to the finishing line rather than going beyond it? And it's, it's going to take a lot of time and a lot of reflection, but I think it's going to be really important that instead of having the GCSE as the target to aim for, that I think beyond that. Um, so yeah, oh, absolutely fascinating. Did anybody else in the room want to add anything to or ask a question? Oh, there's been some fantastic chat, by the way. I've just been sat there reading it and, and trying to sit and reflect on that as well. Yeah, apologies, I'm not really seeing the chat. So if anyone does want to just come off the mic and ask me something, feel free. I'm not, I'm not even offended. So, uh, don't worry it's almost impossible to have a conversation and do the chat at the same time michael that's why it's dave and i do it together <laughs> um okay uh somebody's raised their hand is that you dave yes here you go yeah um sorry i'm hogging this now um because i'm just getting so much from this so i'm going to use it and uh, and, and take it take away as much as i can but um so so just going back to something you said at the beginning um of, of this session and and you talked about the stars and the wish and and how yeah we don't necessarily need two or three and what's that highest leverage and, and i was wondering if you you wouldn't mind just talking a little bit about how you make the choice or whether there's there's sort of common ways um common sort of common things that come out of that um in terms of what what is the highest leverage um is there have you got tactics techniques to to make sure you get to, and choose the thing that's the highest leverage each time if that made sense yeah i mean fundamentally identifying the highest leverage is not easy um and that comes back to your um sort of uh, knowledge and understanding of the subject and i think that's crucial as well um having um clear understanding of the subject the common misconceptions where pupils will inevitably make mistakes preempting those before you even get them to undertake anything in, in the classroom is really crucial. And then over time, as you become uh, more experienced and, and you work with pupils, you get to understand um, where those highest leverage action steps will be. And it's not easy to identify them. And there are gonna be times where maybe you won't necessarily identify the highest leverage action step, but actually, identifying one action step that pupils are going to to actually um, action when they receive it rather than saying right not sure which the highest average action step in this piece of work so i'm going to give them three targets and then they get it and they just feel overwhelmed because they've got that many targets to deal with but the light at the end of the tunnel disappears and then they push back on that feedback and then in the subsequent lessons actually you lose them again because what you want to do is build that culture that feedback or where they see the light at the end of the tunnel they see see that next level uh, it's a touching distance i can do this and even if it's not the highest level action step that's fine identifying one of them and it will still make improvements will still help them to feed forward and as 
as you practice it and as teachers um, gain in their expertise and, and grow and gain um, that, those years of experience of working with pupils, then you become more effective at identifying those highest leverage action steps. And I think also that's where departmental meetings and, and collaborative conversations around uh, what pupils are, are um, doing in, in specific pieces of work and where you can see collectively those common errors and being able to support colleagues in identifying those action steps can also be quite powerful too uh, to help speed uh, and um, train teachers to do that. I think if I can if I can add to that then because it's uh, it just sounds just like what we do and I think Rhiannon and you talked briefly about it earlier on with our um, developmental drop-ins as staff and, and how we have a system that we're, we're observed every two weeks and and, uh, and through the observation we will get um, a, a discussion will, will happen around the strengths of the, the lesson then there'll be one actionable step to take away um, and I know I've learned more in six months than I've learned in six years of teaching through that model um, in terms of the little things I can do in my classroom to make things better. My current one is working on a um, something where I have a worked example and a your turn, um, and the your turn is very similar to the worked example, but I now cover up the your turn to, to, to take away some of the cognitive load. And, and it's just one thing I'm working on over the next couple of weeks. And it's that idea um, of, uh, of how, how sort of our minds work. And it's the same for the students. The students' uh, minds will work in very similar ways. And, and that overload there, I think, is absolutely key. Um, and probably my takeaway from that um, is that what I'm benefiting from in that structure, I need to to pass that um, expertise onto onto the students and, and follow a similar structure so that they can they can take that feedback and, and do something meaningful with it because it's not too many different actionable steps. Yeah, and I think if we're doing it with staff, why are we not doing it with pupils? And probably the reason why we're not doing with pupils is because we've always done it this way. And the marking policy says we need to give a two stars and a wish. So we're going to do it, even if it doesn't actually have the desired impact. It's all about breaking habits, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's just me being um uh um, the word actually. R5 on a Tuesday after, after teaching. Oh, no, it's, it's, it's just fantastic. And um, with, with so, much, so much that you've said there, Michael, I'm not surprised that you have forgotten one word. I think you've managed incredibly for the last hour with, with all of the, the richness that you've been able to add to what we're doing this afternoon. And uh, coming back to what Dave said about our developmental drop-ins, our DDIs, I know... I just don't see it now as me trying to get, are they going to give me an outstanding? I see it as just a constant opportunity for me to develop. There's no, there's no target I'm aiming for anymore. It's just a constant journey that I'm on instead. And it's, it's so enlightening. I suppose, and it's it's just much more positive. So we are coming up to the end, and I'm really, really sorry about this because I know that some people are gonna have to go. Um, so I will bring um, Matt in and ask him for his session takeaway, because I know some people may need to leave. But as always, if, if you wanna stay around for a little while afterwards, I'll be in the green room. I, I really enjoy the conversations that we have. Um, and just a reminder as well that in, 
two weeks, we have Heidi Hughes coming uh, to talk about her book, Mentoring in Schools. And that's going to be absolutely cracking as well. If we think about taking on board what you've said today, Michael, and helping to support other colleagues that we're working with, I think this is going to be really, really crucial in that cultural shift. So, Matt, um, if I could hand over to you, please, for your session takeaway, that'd be brilliant. Thank you. My, uh, my, my takeaway was nice and organised in uh, nice bullet points and it's turned into a spider web of notes <laughs> over the last hour. So uh, if I go off track, I'll try and bring myself back around. But I, I, I first of all just want to say thank you. Thanks, Michael, to you for, for your time this afternoon and, and Rhiannon and Dave for organising this. I always want CPD to, I guess, change or to challenge my thinking about how I'm doing something. And I, I feel like this you know, these book clubs do that on a regular basis, but this session in particular has has really sort of challenged the way I, I look at things. And I, and I think that's that's great. And I'm worried about sort of how <laughs> I need to moderate my level of change that I then want to think about. Um, and I think we're, we're also aware of the importance of feedback and, and, you know, those traditional, we said earlier on, those traditional sort of long uh, written pieces of feedback and the sort of the, the low impact of that. And, we, and we've talked a little bit about how we how we shift culture and i think in the last sort of 20 minutes or so we've almost been like i guess we've been trying to like trick ourselves into finding tactics or or quick wins on on how to do that and i think actually it's it's just a case of, of being really really brave with it and and you said right at the top michael of, of the discussion today you described um students getting a, a thunderstorm of feedback um and that we probably have three or four seconds that they're gonna they're gonna take in so why are we wasting them? Why why are we we're we're filling them potentially with the one thing they're going to take away is, is that sort of binary example of, of whatever they need. And I think for me, it's gone. The thing I want them to take away is what do I need to improve on? What do I what do I need to work on next? And actually, rather than look at uh, maybe a, a clever or a, a different way of doing things, by delaying the grade, we just force the issue. And, and David and Rhiannon, you've mentioned the DDIs. You're exactly right, because that's what that's done for, for any of us who've been teaching long enough to go through lesson observations. I've, I've sat there and all I've waited for is that number or that thing. And the rest, I'll be, the rest of it's just gone over my head. And actually, we've done that with teaching and we all turn around, those of us who go through DDIs, and we say, this has made my teaching loads better because I'm getting regular sort of low stakes feedback. I don't get a number. I don't get a grade. I don't get put into a special group. I just get feedback on my practice and we're doing it between ourselves no problem at all so let's let's just be brave and do that with the students and how we structure it will will depend on the context of our school and all of those things but I think it's there in front of us we're, we're doing it with each other we're doing it with colleagues and peers at the moment we need to be doing this with the with the students as well and uh, you know feedback has to be the the catalyst doesn't it of the conversation the start of that rather than the end point and I think you know for me the the delaying of the grade really opens that and it kind of it transforms it really from that feedback into feeding forward if i'm going to be sort of corny with with a choice of words but um a, a huge i really really enjoyed today's session so thank you for your time and and thank you everyone for the contributions in the chat as well because there's lots i've been again sort of notes everywhere uh, of things to do but I, I do think for me actually this is one of those where we sort of step away from it and go just need to be a, li a little bit braver so thank you for your time Thank you very much, everybody. That was absolutely fantastic. I'm going to stop the recording now.